you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The ChrisVossShow.com. Who the hell in a... Stop it. Who the hell runs a, a opera singer when uh, we run in a podcast? Well, that's us, folks. We just added that sound by this week. That's why we're, trying to, we're trying to get the whole part of it down. But the beautiful part of it is, is you don't have to hear me sing it. You've been hearing me sing it for 15 years. And for 15 years, we've been bringing you all the brightest minds, the billionaires, the authors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, the White House advisors, the people who recommend uh, to leaders and nations, the uh, what else is there? There's the CEOs. Hey, everybody, we've had just everybody on the show at this point even like uh uh i don't have a joke about uh, people for ai but maybe we'll have you know like some of those famous people that have passed away and we'll have them on as ai that might be an interesting podcast as well um and we have them on the show and they come on they tell us the stuff and they make you the audience smarter more brilliant more happy you know, that's one of the things we get. They call it the Chris Voss Show Glow. And I know I've made this up before in previous shows, so we're going to do a callback on it. But the Chris Voss Show Glow just gives you that feeling of happiness and warmth. And as you wander through pe life, people go, holy crap, you're glowing and you're happy. And then you're like, yeah, because I listen to the Chris Voss Show podcast and all smart guests that come on it. And we have another one today. But as always, that's our lead into guilt and shame you into referring the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com for Chess Chris Foss, youtube.com for Chess Chris Foss, linkedin.com for Chess Chris Foss. See the big LinkedIn group and LinkedIn newsletter. And Chris Foss won on the tickety talkie that uh, I guess is popular with the kids. Uh, today, we have an amazing young lady on the show with us today. Her newest book just came out September 12th, 2023. Michelle. Lamont is on the show with us today. Her book is called Seeing Others, How Recognition Works and How It Can Heal a Divided World. And if you ain't seen the news lately, people, we sure need this book. So there you go. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a professor of sociology and of African and African-American studies at Harvard University. See, we, we have we have opera people and we have Harvard people. I mean, it doesn't get any more classy than this, considering I'm about as white trash as there can be. She is also the Robert I. Goldman Professor of European Studies. She served as the 108th president of the American Sociological Sociological Association. I flunked second grade. Everyone knows that. And her research has received numerous awards, including honorary doctorates from six countries. She author, she's the author or co-author of over a dozen books. And uh, she joins us on the show today, today. And she also did not flunk second grade like I did. Welcome to the show, Michelle. How are Thank you? you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you because we need people like you to really take the show up uh, several notches. And uh, congratulations on the dozen books, everything you did on your new book. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. It's simply www.michellelamont.org. There you go. There you go. So uh, give us a 30,000 overview of this book, uh, Seeing Others. Yeah. Well, it's really about the importance of defining others as worthy and really, you know, enlarging the circle of people who matter in our society. Mm. It's a book that I decided to write a few years ago. I felt like many groups were getting more excluded instead of more included so i felt like the general public really needed tools to understand how we can re reduce the stigma that groups face mm -hmm. and that applies to you know religious group ethno-racial you know minorities but also frankly to working class people who feel like with the fact that college educated people are really at the center of our society now many workers feel like they are at the margin so the goal is really to to bring more people into the center so that everyone feels valuable and how to do this is the object of the book and maybe bring more peace to the world 
Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. it's also against this polarization that so many people experience. You know, most of us are going through our business every day being relatively tolerant and also, frankly, being indifferent toward a lot of people. And many people in the media now just talk about polarization as if it was always us and them. Well, in fact, I think there's less us and them that we might think out there. I would hope so. I mean, we live in a time, people who are listening to this uh, 10 years from now on our on our YouTube channel, which they tend to do, um, you know, right now we live in a time where there's the Russia war with the Ukraine. Uh, we just had this major terrorist attack uh, on Israel. And so now we have uh, Israel, Hamas, and the Gaza Strip. I mean, we uh, politics in our country are very divided. As Americans, we're kind of at each other's throats on social media, as it were. We're, we're pretty... Uh, we're pretty divided, as you say. Um, one thing you talk about in your book is decades of neoliberalism have negatively impacted our sense of self-worth, the income uh, ladder, and stuff like that. Um, tell us a little bit about how, is that how we got to this point um, through this yeah. journey? Yeah, it didn't help. You know, uh, 2008, I think a lot of people lost their job, became very insecure, very concerned mm -hmm. also about the future of their children. Mm -hmm. So um, for the last several decades, there's been like a glorification of people who have a college degree and are professionals and managers. Mm -hmm. And these people have been trying to hoard resources to make their kids, uh, you know, as successful as possible, send them to college. They have been very focused on themselves and their family. And this has come hand in hand with, I think, a devaluation of those who don't have a college degree. So a real polarization, which is which has been feeding the political division that we have in American society right now. So it's tied to the transformation of our economic system where, you know, a celebration of money as the only dimension by which we value people. And the, the book is really called to adopt a wider range of criteria for us. So people are people. You know, some people will be valued because they are caring people and they build communities. Others will be valued because they're spiritual people mm -hmm. and they, they give that to society. So it's really a call to move away from a single hierarchy on which our current system is based to try to include as many people as possible. Neoliberalism. Now, um, so are you saying that Reagan's trickle-down economics didn't work? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Oh, yes, saying? that's a big insight. <laughs> is, that where neoliberalism, thought, right? <laughs> is that where neoliberalism uh, started in your mind? Yeah. Well, it's generally associated with both him and uh, Margaret Thatcher, who was elected roughly at the same time in the UK. And both of them used the state to really maximize competitiveness and profit making for companies. And yeah, this trickle down economics, the idea that we would all benefit from the rich become as rich, richer because they would create more jobs. Well, it didn't happen like this at all. And we found ourselves rescuing banks in 2008. And now millennials, part of the story of the book is very much that younger people, millennials and Gen Z's are not buying into the American dream at all. Yeah. Because it's too distant for them. And there's a major mental health crisis, not only in these generation, but also, I think, in the among professionals and managers, people have been working so hard that they are now depressed and overwhelmed and their well-being is really at a low point. You know, we know about the opioid epidemic and alcohol abuse and uh, substance abuse as a way for people to medicate themselves because it's not sustainable, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's a call of, for action to really reconsider the decisions that the choice we make as a society and how people lead their lives. There you go. You know, um, you, you bring up some good points. I recognize that in the 80s where I started seeing the middle class melting away from neoliberalism mm -hmm. and the trickle-down economics. I remember in junior high thinking, that sounds yeah. like the dumbest thing ever. Um, and uh, I didn't know anything about economics then. I was busy flunking second grade. But, uh, um, you know, it's, that's kind of what I've seen. I've seen the whittling away of yeah. the middle class. I've seen the whittling away of Main Street. You know, I came of age when uh, the Ivan Bioski age of the greed is good era, which was, you know, mm -hmm. Reaganism and Margaret Thatcher, as you said. And a lot of people have really documented this and covered it. Uh, and, uh, and it seems like 
the further and further people get pushed into um, this, uh, you know, e economy, uh, they don't have enough money, they're, they're at their desperate wits, the more they're likely to embrace things like populism, fascism, and everything else. And if you study fascism and populism and the rise of it, it always comes from this. It comes from an economic bottom where people are desperate for anybody and they'll latch on to uh, horrible leaders that will end democracies and take us into fascism and uh, populism, which is being talked about very heavily here in America right now. Yeah. Uh, for those listening years from now, yeah. assuming we're still a republic then. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And, and so it's important, I think, like you're talking about, to see others how recognition works. Um, what motivated you to write this book? What was the catalyst? Well, frankly, I was a little depressed. I, I presume you're... Uh, Were you on the news? Were you reading the news? <laughs> <laughs> I presume your audiences might be mixed politically, but in my case, you know, I remember I did, I wrote a paper on the electoral speeches of mm. uh, Trump when he was running to be president, 73 electoral speeches. We wrote a content analysis mm -hmm. of those speeches and we found that, which, you know, at one level, what he did was good. He was talking to the working man and telling them, you're downwardly mobile. It's not your fault. It's because of globalization. I know that you work hard to get your kids to study and to pay your bills and you're a survivor and you're a good, solid person. You have work ethic. At the same time, he said, if you have problems succeeding, it's because of immigrants. And then he started talking about, you know, Latinos, Mexicans being rapists. And that was very, it's very central theme in all of his uh, presidential speeches. So he's really been feeding this anti-immigrant theme that has become so central. And uh, I was very concerned about this. I was listening to NPR in my, car, in my car two days ago, and I learned even in this state of Massachusetts where I live, which is a pretty blue state, there's a huge increase in um, fascist activities. So mm -hmm. you know, far-right people um, standing in front of motels where uh, Latin American immigrants have just moved in and are mm -hmm. being placed there temporarily by the government to protest. So you could see like these confrontation in your face, you know, as you said, it's not very good for democracy. So we have to decide where we're going to put the bar. <laughs> Definitely. And maybe we need to do a reset of, of actually seeing each other as human beings and exactly. not labeling each other as Republican, exactly. Democrat, immigrant, exactly. uh, person who's native to yeah. America. And, and I'm not just blaming the workers, you know, because we know not at all to the extent that, uh, you know, we know that the supporters of uh, Trump come from all social class. Uh, mm -hmm. What's surprising is that many people will think what he's proposing in terms of policy is not at the advantage of the working class, and yet he's able to com convince a number of them to, uh, to support him. But when I wrote a book in, that came out in 2000 called The Dignity of Working Man. And one of the central themes in that book, as I did, you know, like 150 interviews with workers in New York and in Paris. In New York, it was African-American and white workers. And in Paris, it was North African-American, uh, North African immigrants, people who were often illiterate and white workers. And the theme that came out through, through and through was treat people like people. You know, recognize what's universal among us as human beings. So that's a very central theme, I think, in working class culture. And it bumps against this exclusive approach that is being promoted uh, in some quarters. And whether it's toward Latinos or toward gay people or toward African-American or, you know, I mean, name it, you know, mm -hmm. The idea that we should really reconnect with what we all share as human beings, I think, is very important. And we're all human beings. I mean, you know, I remember I grew up with the USSR and cowering under a desk from the nuclear bombs because anyone knows those old steel case desks from the 70s would deflect a nuclear bomb. Um, and... You know, I remember Sting put out this uh, album, I think it was from the uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles, and he talked about the Russians, and he goes, the Russians are people too. They're mothers and fathers. They love their children. They want their children to grow up. Mm -hmm. um, 
and 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 succeed and live and thrive and they're just like anyone else in the world for the most part okay. I mean, maybe the leadership maybe doesn't have those sort of in, in, uh, mm -hmm. instances in in the interest of uh power but it, it it was interesting to me how people bought the the lies of trump because this has been going on this has been going on for eons of time where exactly. the politicians play the game of blaming the immigrant making you know um making that third party who's the mm -hmm. when you blame everything on and exactly. you would have thought that after <laughs> you know a millennia of years of of american uh, human uh life and government you know people would have put this thing together and gone ah yeah we see what he's doing he's playing that whole uh you know Blaming. He's doing that. He's doing that whole blamer game, you know. Yeah. And everybody knows that what happens is the rich and powerful will will tell you, "Hey, uh, those guys over there are stealing from you. Look over there." And then when they do, they pick your pockets because mm -hmm. you're yeah. looking over there. And you're mm -hmm. like, "Hey, where my wallet go?" And they're like, "I think the immigrant took it." Mm -hmm. uh, when you were looking over at them, and you're like, "I was looking at them. How can they have taken it? You're the one standing behind me." Mm -hmm. So, and that's exactly. and that's the way it rolls. And I think we exactly. saw the result of that. Um, so getting, uh, to how we see others and recognize, um, how do we, how do we start looking at each other and seeing, uh, not with that, which divides us, but that, which, uh, makes us similar and, and, uh, and, and bridges that gap. Well, there's some groups that are deeply stigmatized, right? They are viewed as morally corrupt or, um, so one example would be people who are HIV positive. Mm. So I'm Canadian. I moved to the U S uh, in early eighties from France where I had done my PhD mm -hmm. and I lived in Palo Alto and it was the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And everyone was absolutely freaked out about AIDS in part because the media talked about this as the disease that was hit thing you know gay people who were spending too much time in public bathrooms having sex so it was very much viewed as the punishment you know people talked about punishment for their sins or whatever yeah. but it, since in the last 40 years there's a lot of organization that have joined forces to transform the meaning of being hiv positive so of course, there's a lot of social movements that I fought against that, but they worked hand in hand with a lot of knowledge workers. And that includes, you know, journalists, social scientists, legal and medical experts who said, no, actually, that's not the problem with uh, being HIV positive. Anyone can get it. Mm -hmm. And it's not a sign of moral turpitude. And you had people like Magic Johnson who came out tall, mm -hmm. beautiful, had lead saying, I have AIDS. And then you have Lady Di who came from uh, the UK and removed her gloves and started, you know, shaking hands with people with AIDS. So all these gestures by, you know, important individual that little by little transmitted the message. It's fine. These are human beings. So the book is really about the importance of transforming narratives, transforming the stories we tell about people. And this is really a message of hope because the argument of the book is it's happening and it can happen more and we can all contribute to it. There you so, go. So uh, think about same-sex marriage. You know, this is happening mm -hmm. also through individual actions like the one I just described, but also institutions. So after 32 states passed the same-sex marriage law, mm -hmm. the number of attempted suicide among LBGTQ youth in high school declined drastically. Mm -hmm. And that's because I think the law was telling them, well, you belong, you have access to the most sacred institutions of our society, marriage. Mm -hmm. So those narratives, these stories we tell about each other really contains important messages about who matters, who counts, who's important, who we should have a feeling of solidarity toward. So my solution is not at all just take individual responsibility for it. It's much more, let's create together a society that provides a lot of these messages that are much more inclusive. And it's in our power and it's happening already. We just need more of it. Definitely, definitely. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in this. And I kind of recognize in my early age um, how we territory, we, we create these territories yeah. and we, you know, uh, you know, my flag's better than yours. My religion's better than yours. My belief system and whatever, fill in the blank here, uh, is better than yours. And, and I, re I, I started recognizing how mobs worked, mob mentality worked, 
how we use them for eliteness uh, and to and to give ourselves moral authority or power over others because we see ourselves as well. I'm I'm in this group, so I must be better than everyone else. Um, I don't think I don't think many people have a self realization that sometimes you know some of the things they're believing in or join they think gives them you know an upper hand of moral authority above others they don't realize how ugly it is um and and it's interesting to me the hypocrisy when they're like well i just want to help you uh, how to become more like me mm -hmm. and you're like i don't know what makes you so great you look horrible from the outside have you seen yourself do you have a mirror up there um <laughs> fill in your favorite politician here um yeah. the you know, one of the things I started doing recently, because I've been, I think I've talked about this on the show before. I was a, I was a Republican up until uh, George W. Bush or, or during George W. Bush. Uh, otherwise, what's known as the Dick Cheney presidency, because mm -hmm. you know who's oh, really yeah. running the country. Um, and I left the Republican Party over uh, some of the religious stuff. I'm an atheist. And, and the guy was an idiot. I mean, that was just it. He was embarrassing to my vote. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm talking about, uh, W not, uh, yeah. president Cheney and, um, people listening 20 years ago, what? <laughs> president Cheney, I don't remember that. It's a joke. People Google it. Um, yeah, he really didn't run the country. Um, so, uh, uh, and so I left and then I went to the democratic side and I, I kind of was lost in the woods for a while and and then i came to the democrat side and you know after 9 11 i was going why does everyone hate us in the world and maybe i should find out more about what's going on in the world and what the deal is here what do we, what are we what, what, is it us or is it them what is it and then uh you know with trump i think a lot of people push far liberal mm -hmm. uh and now i find myself kind of in the middle Mm -hmm. And I've tried to get to a point where I can see both sides. Mm -hmm. um, now, I can see both sides and, and try and look at them and go, okay, what are they trying to accomplish? Okay, they're okay. about family over here, and they love children, but I'm not sure the way they're applying their interests are working for them or they're giving a good balance or healthy for everybody. And so I try and look at both sides, and now I kind of – I kind of, uh, I, I don't like the extreme of either parties, uh, but I find myself, uh, in the middle, uh, and, and on the democrat, uh, on the Democrat side, but I can still look at both sides and, and see things. And what I'm getting to is what I do now is something I started, I don't know, about three or four months ago. And if I do get into a political talk with people that I feel that we can have an open-minded discussion with, because, you know, some people are just sealed off. I say, look, okay, we're going to, if you want to have this discussion, we'll have this discussion, but we're going to lay a foundation, a floor, an agreement to this conversation. The floor, the foundation is we're all Americans and mm -hmm. it's about the constitution and everything else that's built is built on top of this the republican party the democrat party blah 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 political issues all this bs is built on the foundation that we're all americans and mm -hmm. that this we have a constitution and we can debate ideas but we still love each other as americans and boy laying that foundation for people and setting that boundary and sometimes you have to return to it and go whoa, 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 hey whoa, 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 mm -hmm. whoa. we're not mm -hmm. republicans we're not democrats yeah. fucking americans i agree with you on the other hand we have also to recognize that this is a country that has been created by immigration yeah you know the new immigrants are kicking down the, the old immigrants are kicking down the new immigrants you know everyone is a newcomer here except for the the for the native americans so mm -hmm. you know i mean i appreciate what you're saying and by american i presume what you mean is people who are embracing yeah certain values about democracy and equality and mm -hmm. you know and that's what this this country was founded on was exactly. the melting pot of american people exactly. coming that's what that statue is in the harbor of new york yeah. about the statue of liberty exactly and and that's what's actually made our country great if mm -hmm. you really study what made our country great is the is the just the randomness mm -hmm. of where all the great ideas could be centralized in our totally. country. Yeah. You know, Einstein came from Germany and, and, and some of the rocket people and all those people that helped develop mm -hmm. the bomb. Uh, uh, you look at uh, someone who uh, made major modern changes to our country, like Steve Jobs. His family is yeah. came from Syria. Uh, my great-grandfather came from Germany. 
Yeah. Um, which but, I don't know. I, they, I think they still want me deported over yeah. that. But the but, flip side, the Chris, is that sometimes by uh, nationalism, like mm -hmm. people are also embracing whiteness. They think that yeah. being American means being white American, and mm -hmm. that is really you know putting uh, oil on the fire when it mm -hmm. comes to racial tensions within our society. And also define, defending one group as, you know, lacking self-reliance, mm -hmm. as sponges who abuse collective resources. And if you look, I know Israel is such a, you know, difficult topic right now, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, nationalism in Russia or nationalism in Israel, like people, when they feel threatened, they embrace nationalism. So yeah. it's a little bit of a, you know, double sword edge. We have to be careful about it. We want to, part of me feels like even going beyond nationalism, talking about universalism. When I did these interviews with North African immigrants in France, people who are really illiterate, one of the questions I asked is what makes you similar and different from the French? And many of the French people were very racist toward them. They would say, well, we all spend nine months in our mother's womb. You know, we all have 10 fingers. We all need to get up in the morning to to get our bread and go to work. And we all also are children of God, or we are all equally insignificant in the cosmos, you know, yeah. like we're specks of dust. And I felt like in some ways this is an even more, inter, you know, embracing version of, uh, of what we should aspire for society. Otherwise, we get into, like, if you look at the, reaction of this you know we're, as you said earlier we're talking when there's just an explosive conflict now in in israel and i'll just tell you a little story over the last two three days the president of my university who's the first uh, woman black woman to be president made a statement where um some of the faculty felt she had not blamed enough uh, well, you know, the question is who's most guilty for what's happening? You know, the three actors are basically Hamas, which is a terrorist government that has, in, you know, represents the uh, Gaza Strip, and they're terrorists. They're the one who went into Israel and attacked people randomly and kidnapped people. And some people are blaming all of Palestinians for that. Well, in fact, it's a very small group that doesn't have the support from Palestinians is, is tiny. And the, the faculty, the students, and the president in my university were all attacking each other about who was expressing too much support toward Israel or too much support toward Palestinians. And some people wanted everyone to only blame only the Palestinians. And a lot of people say, well, listen, Israel has been treating Palestinians like dirt ever since the country was was created. So this Olympic of suffering, you know, whose suffering matters most is of always producing conflict. And I, I kind of think it's important to really acknowledge that everyone's suffering matters, you know, that we yeah. all need dignity as human beings. And at the end of the day, that's a better starting point than trying to compete about who deserves most to be supported, because um, I think this generally leads us nowhere. Yeah, and I think it's even more interesting. I think it's Harvard that's getting this from uh, <clears throat> some of the some of the Wall Street people. There, I guess some of the folks at Harvard, um, you know, they blamed uh, Israel and supported Palestine, and and they're they're calling out to have the names of them released so that they. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. So they won't ever hire them? Yeah. And I mean, Larry talk about Summers, a divided world. Yeah. And Larry Summers, who's a former president of the U.S., who's always been quite pro-Israeli, yeah. condemns the new president who was just inaugurated two months ago for being not pro-Israeli enough. And a lot of people mm -hmm. resist being pro-Israeli because they think it means being pro-Zionist. So, mm -hmm. you know, and this is a guy who used to be the, the head of the treasury in the country. He's very influential, yeah. but he's also very close to a number of Zionists. So none, no one has a neutral position in this conflict. Yeah. But it's a good illustration of what we're talking about, treating everyone yeah. as human beings or creating like, picking orders and whose suffering matters most. And I think that's often just a dead end, you know. We have to recognize one, in terms of the next election that are coming, I think one of the big challenges is, as I said earlier, a lot of Gen Zs don't believe in the American dream and they find hope 
-hmm. not in the idea that they will get the white picket fence house one day, but in the hope of living today a life that's very inclusive and where other people are not badly treated. Mm -hmm. So for some of them who might define themselves as non-binary sexually, the use of pronouns like the them pronoun is really important or the unisex bathroom. But for a lot of people who don't experience their life, they think this is BS. You know, it's like snowflake politics that it's not worth their time. So how do we bridge the gap between those um, Gen Zs who take very seriously these questions because it's reflexive of their own identity. And let's say working class men who just think, oh, these are indulged, you know, over spoiled brats, middle class kids who are just so self-centered on themselves that they don't understand what really is important in the world. Mm -hmm. So that really requires for both groups to put themselves in the shoes of the other and to really like, I think, understanding where other people come from is really, really important if we want to improve this problem of uh, polarization. Definitely. And seeing each other as human beings, you know, there's this, one of the things that happens with, you know, these economic trends that we're going through right now, where every, people have lost so much, the middle class has faded away. It seems yeah. like, you know, the, it, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. You know, we have uh, staggering inflation now. We have, you know, these wars create uh, immigrants that are coming and 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 uh, yeah. testing resources, but the the problem is we get in this mindset. I think of instead of instead of uh, instead of seeing things from an aspect of um, the word was right there on my brain and escaped me, uh, but it, it's basically um, where we see things in abundance. Yeah. So, it, you know, this country was built on an, an abundant mentality. That's what we're yeah. looking for, or a scarcity mentality. Mm -hmm. That's the word that escaped me. Um, and we built this country on abundant mentality. So we're like, hey, if we bring a bunch of people in here uh, from all walks of life, they're going to contribute in so many different ways. They're going to build industry and so many different industries and so many different stuff. And And the more people, the better, you know. And that makes all the difference because we were, for the longest time, what made America great is being the largest marketplace in the world. Exactly. And the most successful at how we put society together through that melting of pots. Mm -hmm. um, and now we, instead of having this abundance mentality, we live in the scarcity mm -hmm. mentality. Exactly. You know, you, always, know what, you know what else has made things much worse? Something mm -hmm. that many Americans don't know. Mm -hmm. The extent to which classes live separate from each other has increased enormously in the last mm -hmm. decade, which means that there's many more middle class people or upper middle class people who never have relationships relationships with working class people or the poor, which means that then they really cannot understand the life of low income people. What does it mean to live on $10 a day, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's much easier to blame other people for their um, fate. Yeah. It's almost so, a have the <laughs> there's no bread left to meat cake sort of mentality. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So this this really goes to your question about uh, you know abundance versus scarcity, because on the one hand, if you don't have contact, you don't understand the other people, mm -hmm. and you know psychologists who study those things say contact theory. The more groups are in contact with each other, the more the conflicts are likely to go down. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but that's basically the theory. So, and more in, is more, like the same holds with dignity, I think. It's not like, if I get dignity, you lose it. I mean, this is something that we can all have together. It's not like I have a pie and what I eat, you don't eat, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. the, And dignity is the one thing that we can really give each other. Like if you think of people who work in AI, who spend their life on computers, the computers will never give them recognition and dignity. We really mm -hmm. depend on each other to get it. You know, it's like seeing others mean making them feel worthy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it's not zero sum. So really pushing this, I think is crucial now. And as you say, it's not zero sum. It's it, what, the, what goes around comes around. You know, the thing about abundance is a rising tide lifts all boats. Exactly. And so if I share my pie, if I help you and, mm -hmm. and lift you up, then I'll lift myself up and yeah. you'll hopefully go lift some other people up. And as uh, Bobby Kennedy said in his uh, Ripple of Hope speech in South Africa, and I think it was 65, you uh -huh. know, uh, each of us can contribute to tides that can uh, change the world um, exactly. just by just by doing good works and, and lifting each other up. And, and I think, you know, the 
we we've kind of come to the scarcity mindset and so okay. we're fighting over what little resources we feel we have and it's just a downward spiral right mm -hmm. down the drain of where things just keep getting worse and then yeah. it even gets worse when you start adopting you know populism and fascism and and mm -hmm. that just goes bad for another 10 or 20 years until somebody wakes up and says enough of this stuff but uh the, the things can get really dark and we're kind of almost repeating history from a hundred years ago exactly you know, we saw the rise of mussolini and hitler and fascism you know which really came uh i think that was kind of where it first came to the point was with mussolini and people were like hey what the hell is this and you know people that you know hey we, we were economically deficient so let's select some guy who uh you know, promise he's going to fix everything if we just give up our freedoms. And uh, I'm sure everything will work out fine as long as he makes those buses run on time. Yeah. Things will be good. So I think it's important what you're writing and talking about that we need to see each other as human beings. We need to see each other as um, universally. Um, you know, every, every, whether you're Chinese, American, Syrian, mm -hmm. Russian, wh wherever you are in the, in the world, unless you're one of these evil dictators, or mm -hmm. evil power brokers, you know, you're a human being who's trying to, and even some people that are evil, maybe don't sometimes realize they're being evil. They're just trying to yeah. uh, uh, do their objectives and they, they haven't really awakened to how they're taking from others, but recognizing mm -hmm. that they're parents too, they have children too. They love their children. They want their children to succeed. Okay. They, you know, it's like I talked about politics. Sometimes both, both ends of our parties, uh, I, you can see what they want to try and do, mm -hmm. but sometimes application is doesn't work. Or sometimes yeah. you've got to bridge the gap of, you know, give and take. And we used mm -hmm. to live in a politics world of give and take where you would say, okay, well, let's try and meet somewhere in the middle as opposed exactly. to this, this, this highly polarized point that we're at. We're like, I get everything or else and screw you. You get nothing. Exactly. And at the same time, both parties are kind of wrapping themselves, as you said earlier, in the flag of family in America, you know, mm -hmm. like when uh, around uh, abortion, for instance, both groups are saying that they are doing what is most pro-family, either by preventing, you know, people who are poor to have children if they cannot afford them. And the idea that parents should not raise their kids in misery if they cannot afford to have children which is a very pro-family thing to do and on this other side you know catholics who don't believe in abortion think that they're protecting the family so these things are so fluid the the argument can be made for for both sides i should add that concerning we should all treat ourselves human as human one of the things the book does that i really like is we interviewed 75 stand-up comics oh, and really? also people who work in entertainment in hollywood mm -hmm. and we look very closely at their humor and how what they're doing to promote inclusion you know, and what we find is we identify a number of strategies that they develop, and a lot of them are pushing exactly that notion that human are humans by promoting inclusion. So they will say, you cannot force your audience to eat their vegetables, so we're not going to lecture them on inclusion. But as they are telling their jokes, they're planting a lot of little messages about, you know, maybe criticizing people who are racist or classist or homophobic. And... Some people criticize those uh, comics for being, you know, going after clafter. They get clapping by using politics. But in fact, in the 75 people we interviewed, only a few denounced that. But these people say we should not be using politics. But some of these guys make really sexist jokes all the time. And they're not aware that that's also politics, you know, to... Mm -hmm to uh, put down women and to, you know, have this kind of very macho attitude is another way of being political. So, uh, mm -hmm. so the point is in the book, there's a lot of groups whose through their work are really committed to promoting exactly what you and I are talking about, which is, you know, the being able to see each other as human beings and how it's crucial mm -hmm. to change in society. And comedy is such a great way to hold yeah. a mirror to ourselves without being, so much as uh, i don't know it, it gets it comedy gets over the it gets past the barriers yeah. and and some of the greatest comics they're able to take and present both sides of the picture they exactly. go yeah here's some jokes exactly. about this side here's some jokes about that side and 
and they can do the whole circumference of of the issue and they can show you know the nuances and they can show the fallacies of both those but do it in a comedy way to where people i think people learn the most through comedy that's kind of why we try and do it helps a lot because they don't feel show. yeah they don't feel lectured at you know yeah. it's, it's more yeah. digestible and also it creates relatability you know when you yeah. see a comic who says things that you can connect with it makes a huge difference and we should laugh at ourselves more because a lot of what we do is really stupid when you look at it on you know yeah. if you kind of step outside and you look at it and go we do some really dumb stuff yeah. and sometimes exactly. what we do is and uh, comics are great at exposing the hypocrisy because oh, they'll be like totally. look at, it's, it's you know, this doesn't make any sense and people yeah. laugh and then they but you're right they think subconsciously in their mind yeah, yeah it kind of has a point well, yeah. maybe we should yeah. rethink they, how we do that. We don't want to suffer fools. And uh, another point of the book that I think might interest your listeners as well is the conflict between boomers and uh, young people. You know, yeah. like I don't think many boomers understand the depth of uh, anger of Gen Z's toward the fact that my generation, you know, we were buying cars and we were putting lawns that are very bad for the environment. And we were drinking a lot of uh, Diet Coke, which which I do in big plastic bottle, you know, and <laughs> they're mad as hell because they feel like we have, I mean, especially we're talking here in the fall of 23, right? We just had mm -hmm. a summer with tons of forest fires and enormous heat and disasters upon disasters. The environment has never been as upside down as it was this summer. And uh, their anger is tied to them saying, okay, you guys move over, you know, we're just changed now and you guys have screwed up so badly. Now it's, it's our turn, you know, it's our turn to try to create a different society. And they're doing it in part by really pushing inclusion. Like I'll tell you a story. When I was this summer at the American Sociological Association, we all have, you know, uh, little labels with our name and our institution. So in my case, Michel Lamont, Harvard University. And a lot of young people felt like we're over with this. Let's remove the name of the institutions and input, instead put the pronouns. And, you know, you could have seen the boomers. They were so pissed that their institutions were not there anymore. But the young people, they felt like, absolutely, we need the pronouns instead as a symbol of anti-hierarchy to say oh, we're really? all beings and we're going to listen to each other and instead of people just looking at your 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 sign and thinking oh i'm not going to talk to you because you teach at teach at podunk university in fact these pronouns was sending kind of a message of equality that created a very different mood so these things i view them as positive you know because precisely they are oriented toward breaking down the hierarchies a little bit and creating more people being able to communicate as people you know yeah we need to see each other's people that's so important and that's why you know i i i people need to get away from scarcity rising tide lifts all boats so let's start exactly. trying to lift each other let's yeah. start trying to help each other recognize we're all humans we're all trying to do this and if we all roll the boat together we can save mm -hmm. the ship i mean we're all yeah. we're on this little tiny earth ship going through yeah. space and we got asteroids hurling at us and <laughs> aliens coming at us evidently and yeah, you know god knows what else and uh we're just on this uh it's not flat it's not round yeah. it's a square globe by the way folks. <laughs> don't don't start new stuff on don't really start funny. a new cult over that people that's a joke it's the world it's is square. Funny. <laughs> yeah it's, i'm just but, waiting for somebody to write me we've been using that as a callback joke but, for years but you're your, your scarcity line, you know, at the same time, Bidenomics uh, is really being put down. Well, in fact, like in the last month, he's created a lot of jobs. Personally, I'm very puzzled about the fact that people remain so committed to thinking the uh, the economy is a mess. Well, in fact, it's really been growing a lot over the last two years. That's a huge puzzle, you know, that people are not perceiving that. I don't know what they're reading. I don't know where they're getting. I think it's the it. channel they're watching. If exactly. You're with which, exactly. Uh, which yeah. faux news channel that is, yeah. uh, where where the owners and and people on the channel have testified in court, that they lie to people and they just do entertainment TV. Exactly. Uh, so that is a fact, folks. Please Google it. Um, and 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 you know, people live in these bubbles of their scarcity, like we've been talking yeah. about, where they just they just want news that self acknowledges their biases and what they believe mm -hmm. instead of 
looking at other people and being curious. And I imagine curiosity is one of the things that trying to be curious about each other is one way to uh, help bridge that gap of diversity. I could not agree with you more. Uh, each time, you know, since I've been promoting the book for the last month, the publicists are, are trying to get me to write little pieces for various management journals. And they want me to get like three concrete points that the managers could use to improve their workplace. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, you know, for me, the solution, you're saying be curious. My solution is we need to understand each other better. Yeah. We really need to take the time to put ourselves in other people's shoes. <laughs> There's no management book that tells managers that this is what they should do, you know. <laughs> but I think if managers did that more, they would have far more loyalty from their employers. Like giving recognition to people in the workplace mm -hmm. is also something that is enormously needed. So There's a study that shows that if employers give the workers time to, for instance, bring their mom to the doctor or take care of their kids early, you know, these are the things that foster loyalty and at work. And these are things that have to do with recognition to see your employees as, as people, you know, as people mm -hmm. who have other needs and we're both workers and employees and people at once and parents. So these rules are not, their roles are not exclusive of each other and they should mm -hmm. be supported, you know, by, by the way, the, there's now a big movement of unionization, right? And you yeah. think Amazon workers who were on strike, they wanted to have access to the bathroom when they needed, they needed to be able to go to the restroom. Yeah. Isn't that a big claim about dignity? Yeah, I mean, like, don't no. push the, the 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 speed of our work if it means we don't have to go, we don't have time to go to the bathroom. And the people at Starbucks, they wanted some of them were trans or gay. They wanted to be able to put the um, rainbow flags inside the shop, and they they went on strike around issues like this. And then yeah. the uh, the workers in Hollywood, the writers who were on strike, they felt like using AI was just cheating them from their individual uh, creativity. So I think a lot of the revival of the unionization movement now has to do with people seeking dignity. You know, it's not only right. about the paycheck is super important, of course, but I think uh, the, the revival of the, you know, unionization movement really has to do with people having learned something from maybe Black Lives Matter and transposing it to their lives and saying, we don't have to put up with, you know, the UAW is very much saying, you know, the automakers have made a fortune. They've been saved. The government has given them a lot of money mm -hmm. and now they're trying to not pay us. So there's an element of anger that is so healthy, I think, because people are not ready to put up anymore with such unequal treatment and they affirm their dignity. It's not only that they want more money. They also want to be treated fairly. Yeah. And I mean, you, you bring up a great point. It's about dignity yeah. because everyone wants to raise their kids. They want to have enough money to have a life. They're not looking to get, you know, the Jeff Bezos uh, mm -hmm. yacht. They just want or to be able to, to have space. that. Yeah. <laughs> to go to space with Elon Musk. Or go to space. You know, they want the picket fence. They want, yeah. you know, the two-car garage, maybe take their kids to Disneyland uh, once a year or something like that. They want yeah. their uh, spouses to be happy, their kids to be happy. They want their kids to have a future. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not asking a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And that used to be kind of what this country seemed to have hit for a moment after world war. And there was, there was some things that actually contributed to that, you know, people saving their money from world war two, the, you know, and, and, uh, kind of the rise of the Levittown of building across America and the growth of yeah. it and, and people that had, you know, it was a lot of it was saved money from saved up money from the GI bills and stuff like that. that yeah. contributed to that kind yeah. of short spurt there. But, um, you know, the, like I said, scarcity and an abundance mindset, rising tide lifts all boats. And if we look at it from that aspect of how can we lift everyone's boats, the world just gets better. And the exactly. boat's going to rise and we're not going to sink. Because if yeah, we keep punching holes in the floor, exactly, we're going to sink. And also, if you help others when they need it, they'll be there when you need it too, you know. Yeah. What we've seen in 2009 is in 2008, a lot of people who thought they would never need welfare needed welfare you know yeah. a lot of the the need for social support comes from the fact that the economy is not fair there's a lot of people yeah. who are hard working who end up needing it so yeah. Total yeah. COVID taught us that as well yeah yeah exactly 
Well, thank you very much, Michelle, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I got the French version in there for you. Oh, you're very good, Chris. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I uh, don't know French yet, but I'm working well, on it. You're, you're very good. <laughs> I know how to say espresso and say la vie. Well, so, there you you're pretty good. You're, you're set. I think you're ready to I'm go. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it. I don't know if the French will accept me because I'm American. They do it. Well, come to Quebec. So. People in Quebec oh. are really more welcoming and they speak French too. Yeah. And Canadians are wonderful people. We love yes. them. And uh, congratulations. You didn't say a boot anytime during the show. <laughs> you know, no. French Canadian don't do that. It's oh, it's in one. Oh, well. Very. <laughs> you guys are more astute than those, oh, than yeah. those uh, yeah. other Canadians. I see yeah. how it is. But uh, we love the Canadians. So always yeah. such wonderful people up there. Uh, big Rush fan. And uh, But if, could you take uh, Justin Bieber back, please. For the love of God, uh, I, I don't consume Justin Bieber myself. <laughs> There's a few of them that I'd be happy to leave with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, final yeah. thoughts, Michelle. Pitch everyone on your book as we go out. Well, I mean, I think it's a book that should really be of interest to a lot of people. It's really, I went out of my way to um, speak to a wide range of people and to try to create bridges between groups, you know, and have them think about things that are important given the this moment of division that we live in. So please mm -hmm. go ahead, read it. Borrow it from the library. You don't have to to buy it. Just just read it. <laughs> read the damn thing, people already. Yeah, I don't care if you buy it or not. I just want you to read it. Okay. Yeah. The more we can see each other as human beings, it used to be when I grew up in in my world in the seventies. You know, we we would go eat dinner with our neighbors. We knew our neighbor's name. We knew kind of you know probably more about their lives than we wanted to know, uh, which was good for the for the wives. Um, but you know, we knew who everyone was and we, yeah. and we interact with it. You know, if you need to go next door and borrow some salt, you did, you know, your mom's like, Hey, go get sugar from, uh, Brenda next door. And, uh, and, but now we, you know, we live in such these tunnel sort yeah. of, uh, things, you know, we don't even know who our neighbors are. I don't. Yeah. But I do that but on purpose. You see my neighbors? You know? No, I'm just kidding. The, the, the book is so much about hope because the message is it's in our hands. We create the world we want to live in, you know, uh, every day. So there you go. Uh, so let's recreate a better world, folks. Let's live in a from abundant mindset. Order up her book wherever fine books are sold. The book is entitled Seeing Others, How Recognition Works and How It Can Heal. A divided world september 12th 2023 and folks if you haven't seen us lately or followed the news we need this more than ever so it's very important uh thanks to for tuning in thanks to Mich uh, michelle for being on the show we really appreciate it and uh go to goodreads.com for trust chris foss linkedin.com for trust chris foss youtube.com for trust chris foss and the chris foss one at the tickety talkity over there i think that's what the kids call it no they don't thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time Thank you, 